0: you presented by Compassion Church. We're so glad you joined us today. For more information including service times and locations, please visit our website at compassionchurch.cc. Now here's this week's message. <clears throat> For me, we're going to go to John chapter 15 and start at verse 1. John chapter 15, verse 1 get those Bibles out. If you're joining us online, I'll give you a few seconds. One, two. All right, you got your Bibles. Good. Let's pick up at verse one. And I'm reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned. For greater fruitfulness by the message I have given you. Verse 4, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Say remain. Amen. Say abide. abide. Say remain. Abide, remain. <laughs> Tongue twister. For a branch cannot produce fruit. If it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful apart from me. Yes, I am the vine, and you, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, say Remain and i and them will produce much fruit from apart from me you can do nothing anyone who parts from me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned but if you stay joined to me and my words remain in you you may ask any request you like and it will be granted my true disciples produce much fruit 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 this brings great glory to my father you may be seated May God bless the reading and doing of his word in this house this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lovely time of worship in your throne room of grace, God. We thank you that we can be here in this place by your grace, that you brought us to this time, Lord, to to read your word and see what you have for us today. God, I pray that you would make me a better communicator than I really am and let Manchester United win in Jesus Christ's name. In fact, we declare it and we believe it. Hallelujah. Thank you. Amen. Amen. As Nathan said, we're four weeks away from Easter, Easter here at Compassion, and Easter is a celebration, in fact. You know, I was writing up the blurb for what Easter is, and I thought, man, what a sad time for Jesus uh, You know, what are we celebrating? Jesus going to the cross. It's kind of a a sad time. And then God reminded me so quickly, like a swift kick in the pants, He said, No, we're celebrating His life and His life to the fullest. Amen. And one of the most important times in history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We will have people that have been invited by yourselves. Look at the seats that are next to you, in front of you, above you, through the rafters, look through the windows. There will be people that you have invited and prayed for during this time to come and celebrate the resurrection life. Why? Because we don't just believe that Jesus was a fact of history. But that he was in fact the son of God and the son of man. Say the son of God and the son of man. We believe he existed as much as Caesar and Cleopatra did. In fact, Mahatma Gandhi and... Albert Einstein believed Jesus existed and this thing that we read right here is not just a book with words in fact we call this thing the canon of scripture it's comprised of 66 books the old testament the new testament has survived and was written it was it's not just a man book but it's actually a god book It's actually a God book that we read. It didn't just fall from the sky and was buried in New York State and someone dug it up and surprised. It was inspired by God. And the authors wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They knew what they wrote. In translation, we say, what did Paul mean? The author wrote by their will, but the Holy Spirit guided this letter. That Paul wrote in the epistles and other books. Men were moved by the Holy Spirit and they wrote wrote this unique inspiration letter. As men were moved by the Holy Spirit, they were inspired and that unction caused them and guided their hands as they wrote this. This doesn't mean that they were zombies or they were writing it. They were writing upon their will inspired by the true Holy Spirit. And God is a person, and he wants to make himself known. He self-defines. Why? Because he needs to be known. He wants to be known, in fact. So logic that God would write a book and tell who he is, his standards, his ethic, etc., is God's self-revelation to us. You're saying, God, speak a word to me. Speak a word to me. Speak a word to me. He has already spoken a word to you. It's in his book. It's in his Bible. And without... Without it, we just project who he is. We can guess that he's somewhere out in space and he's here or he's there. But until we look in the scriptures, we won't understand true relationship with him. And that he's a unique person and and his will and his relationship with ourselves as someone said up here earlier, is not just about religion, but it's about a true relationship. And without this book that we call the Holy Canon of Scripture, we are just as adulterous. In fact, we can look back in history, and an archaeologist, a well-known archaeological surveyist named Nelson Gluick, said it made it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever converted. Controverted a biblical reference not even once. So while there are places that haven't actually been discovered today in the Bible. There is no discovery that has been made that has controverted the holy scriptures of God. Archaeologists find five. They found five stairways for example to the pool of Bethesda where the man was dropped into that pool and healed. And the Bible today is the same as the original manuscript. In 1947, the Dead 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 Sea Scrolls were found. A thousand years old, over 5,000 manuscripts. Compare all of them and that you actually find that they actually and accurately match. Dead Sea Scrolls manuscripts predated that we had by a thousand years earlier. When when they compared that, they found that those Dead Sea Scrolls and the Bible came within a 99.5% agreement to each other. So from the original manuscript to finding the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were 99.5% in agreement. And the 0.5% which is minor, had to do with spelling and sentence structures that didn't change anything within the meaning. So today, we celebrate the same message, but it said maybe slightly in a different way. If you look back, there was actually a movement, the mon- uh, monastic movement, and in that movement, there was a strain of, of copyists that strained meticulously in the tradition from the rabbinical schools to copy the scriptures. They were serious about it, every jot, every tittle. I want you to look at this picture above here at this example. In this picture, you see the different writings. You have Homer's Iliad, 800 BC, right? And then you can see when it was discovered there, the copies. 400 B.C., 400 years, there are 643 copies of Homer's Iliad. Herodias's history, 480 to 425 B.C., that's when it was written, 80, 900. Copies, 1,350 years, only eight copies left. For the sake of time, let's go all the way down. The New Testament is humanity's most reliable written testament out of every single literature piece that we have today. Few people doubt this, even in Plato's writing of the Republic, Plato's earliest 900 AD, we can see that there's only how many copies, seven copies left of the original there. The reason we have the ancient Greek or the Roman document is because of the church, and the earliest copies that we have is 380. If you see, it, it was written in 61 to 113 A.D. and discovered 850 A.D., 750 years, and we – oh, sorry. I'm reading the, long, the wrong line. New Testament, A.D. 51 to one hundred eighty one fourteen 114 portions of it, A.D. 200. You see 50 years, 100 years, 225, and then you see how many copies we have today of the original 5,366 copies. So, why do I say all of that? Here's why. Because as we journey through in the sermon series, as we start, we're going to be talking about liar, lunatic, or Lord. And C.S. Lewis coined this phrase in his famous book, Mere Christianity, and he called Liar, Lunatic, or Lord. When you look at Jesus Christ, you cannot just call him a great teacher. He simply leaves no room for that. Either he truly was Lord to us, or he was just a lunatic or loony bin person, or he was a liar. Amen. Let's look at some of the phrases that Jesus said, because if we look at some of those phrases, you'll see that either Jesus was a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was a lord. In the Old Testament, God revealed his name to Moses as the I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Thus in Judaism, I am is the unquestionably understood as the name for God. Whenever Jesus made an I am statement in which he claimed attributes of deity, he was identifying himself as God. Now imagine a man roamed the earth, right? Came before the religious scholars of the day and said, I am that I am to these Jewish people. Imagine he came and he said, I am that I am. They would have understood that. To be the deity of God, the Lord God, standing in the flesh. So you know what they thought? This guy is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is actually the Lord of all. There are seven pictures of I am statements found in John's gospel. Number one, read it with me here. I am the bread of life. Okay, one person got it. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door or the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And today we end... On I am the true vine, number seven, and this is where we're going to lay the scripture today, and we're going to look into that. You know, I was in the garden a couple of years back, and there was a beautiful hydrangea. You know a hydranian plant? In the springtime, it, it's lovely, lovely, colorful flowers. And I thought, hmm, I thought, hmm, I need to prune that thing back. It's getting kind of crazy, you know? So me being Superman and the best husband of all time, I went out to the garden with my clippers and I attacked it. Thank you for those words. I did. I attacked it. I like chopped it up. And I was like, yes. I was so proud of myself until my wife came home. And she looked out of the kitchen window and she said, uh, what happened to the hydrania? I, I don't know. I have no idea. Christine came over and she attacked it. But I was lying. No, she didn't really. She's lovely with the flowers. She does all the flowers here at the church. But you know what was crazy is it was, it was wintertime when that happened. And it was down to literally just sort of like a couple of stems on that hydrangea. Hydrangea. Ginger. And when it was down like that, in the spring, it came back, and that thing went out of control in a good way. It grew back even better than what it was in the winter. In the winter, it looked like it, it could possibly die. It looked like it could possibly go down to nothing. And then all of a sudden, in the spring, it branched, and it poof, it came into being. John chapter 15, verse 1 through 3 says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned for greater fruitfulness by the message I have given you. Let's look at the context of this story here. In chapter 13, Jesus sat down with his disciples at the Last Supper. In John chapter 15, did I say Matthew? I meant John. In John chapter 15, he spoke about I am the vine. In John chapter 17, 24 hours later, Jesus was in the garden and he was being turned over to be crucified. The grapevine is a prolific Plant. A single vine can bear many, many different grapes. And in the Old Testament, grapes symbolize God's fruitfulness in doing God's work on the earth. Psalms 80 verse 8, Isaiah 5 verse 1 through 7, Ezekiel chapter 19 verse 10 through 14. In the Passover meal, the fruit of the vine symbolize God's goodness to his people. Here's some water for you, okay? Christ is the vine, God is the gardener, and those who are claiming to be followers of Christ are the branches. True claimers produce much fruit in their lives. Non-true claimers are unproductive and are those who turn back from following Christ after making superficial commitments, and they will be separated from the vine. Good as dead will be cut off and tossed aside And some scholars in early 1800s say that they would even put that to mean they would be put on their sick bed. My goodness, that's a little far-fetched, I believe, in some of the commentaries. Jesus makes a distinction between the two kinds of pruning here. Either it's cut off and or it's cut back and the branches become more fruitful to promote more growth. In other words, God must sometimes discipline us to strengthen our character and our faith. But branches that don't bear fruit are cut off at the trunk, not only because they're worthless, but also because they often infect the rest of the tree. People who don't bear fruit for God or who try to block efforts of God's followers will be cut off from his life-giving power. Fruit that lasts, or fruit that is great, is not all-inclusive and limited to winning souls. What is it then? Number one, it's answered later on in 7, 11, and 12. It's answered in prayer, joy, and love are mentioned. But also in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 24, and Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, talks about the qualities of the fruit that's produced. And in fact, if we are producing that fruit in our lives, then the overflow or the outflow of that is God's love and his life giving in and through us. Because it should compel us then to share his love with others, to pray with others, to go out there and fetch others and tell them about Jesus. Make sense? It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful apart from me. Yes, I am the vine, and you, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. From apart from me you can do nothing. So let's apply this. How, what, when. Number one, the vine. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the I am. You know, there's no amount of good things that you and I can do to earn our way into relationship with God. And that's one thing that people will believe. But in this true statement, as Jesus walked the earth, as he spoke there to the uh, uh, Pharisees and the Pharisees, he said, I am the vine. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Application, spring has come. Understand your season. In winter is for pruning. Winter is for pruning. And I believe in this season, winter has come. God has pruned back. God has cut the branches in your life away, which is an uncomfortable situation in this time of, what are we going to do, Lord? What are we going to do? God has pruned back. And in a very real way, as we go into spring, as we spring into spring, understand that that pruning, as uncomfortable as it is, will bear even more fruit. As crazy and, and mangled or less like that hydrangean plant that was pruned back, understand that when it blooms in the summer, just like those grapevines, it will produce much fruit. But the uncomfortableness in the season of pruning back is an uncomfortable situation. you yeah, I'm reminded in, in worship today of Adam and Eve. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. And if you go back and you look at that in Genesis, let's just go back and look at that real quick. Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the creatures the Lord God had made. Really? He asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any fruit of the garden, of any fruit in the garden? Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it or even touch it, or we will die. You won't die, the serpent hissed. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat it you'll become just like God knowing everything both good and evil there's great deception in that because the fruit looks really good to touch and eat and the devil says no you're not going to die you, it's just going to open your eyes further but God has said do not touch with that otherwise you'll die but the woman was convinced the fruit looked so fresh and delicious and it would be it would make her so wise so she ate Some of the fruit. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Then he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they were suddenly felt shameful at their nakedness. So they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. When God prunes back, or when, when God prunes back that vine, or He takes it back felt like God was speaking that, how does that applies that there's some people that feel naked and afraid, because you've never, you've never felt this weird feeling of being exposed in front of the Lord, and he, he's exposing that thing, and he's pruning back that thing to bring you into the place that he wants you to be in. Does that make sense? And especially in this season, as we spring forward, because I believe in a very real way, I believe that spring is going to hold something new. It's not just called spring and flowers spring forth, and, but God is going to do something amazing because I know the winter season, I don't know if you, if you feel it too, but I feel like the Lord has been pruning back. He's been chucking out what needs to be chucked out. Have you ever seen Hoarders, the TV program? They go into a room and there's things everywhere. Right? Sometimes our lives are full of things everywhere. Yeah? Mom says, clean your room and you shove things under the bed like that. And she comes in and she specifically looks under the bed. God is looking under your bed, so to speak. He's, he's looking, and you're, and you're sat right there before him, and he's exposing the truth. And it's an uncomfortable feeling. It's not condemnation, because we know condemnation comes from the liar and the accuser, but it's a conviction. Here is the hope. Here's the encouragement in that is that. In this season, as you feel the gardener coming and pruning your life, and shaping you and forming you, there's something that will spring forth that is even greater. There's fruit in your life in this uncomfortable season that as he prunes that back and it's uncomfortable and there's changes, it's not a condemnation to where it says there's no hope for you. Because that's what condemnation does is condemnation comes and and it's sly and it looks good and it's deceptive. But it's a conviction from the Lord saying, you need to prune this off. I'm exposing you. Because when Adam and Eve were exposed, they were naked and afraid. For the first time, they felt the Lord before them and they had to cover themselves. What would it look like if we stood... in that position in front of the Lord and let him deal with our nakedness and our afraidness and our doubt and our worries and our fears in this season. Do you think the I am that I am, do you think he would then cover us not with our own fig leaves but cover us with his armor. See, and that's what the Holy Spirit does is he he literally comes into the heart. He does a what I call a heart transplant and he pulls out the heart of stone. He does a little heart surgery and he fixes that heart issue and he places it back. I think that speaks to us because in that story, in this parable right here, we are the branch. Jesus is the vine. The branch has to be connected to the vine. We have to be in the season connected to Jesus more so than we ever. We, you, you can't you can't fake it till you make it anymore. You can't, you know why? Because in these seasons, Right? The only thing you have to hold on to is God and God Himself. Hmm? You can argue all you want about whether Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. You can argue about that. We could give you evidence on that, but you would still not understand. For the lack of trying to understand. Number three, how do we apply this? How do we, how do we, in that pruning, how do we stay fast to God? It says, Anyone who parts from me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But If you stay joined to me and my words remain in you, you may ask any request you like. Any request you like. And it will be granted. My true disciples produce much fruit. This brings great glory to my Father. That word in the NLT is staying joined and remaining. In some other translations, it says abide. And that word abide is a present tense imperative verb. What this, what this means is abiding doesn't just mean I'm abiding. It's a verb. It's an action of abiding. It's not a noun. It's a verb. And a verb means action. And so what does abiding actually mean? It indicates a continuous action of the disciple. Make sense? So we don't just abide in the word today, but we abide in the word every single day. We abide in his revelatory word, his self-revelatory word, this word, this living and active word, as it says, that's falling apart because I've had it so long. We abide... In this thing. Because when we abide in this, we abide in him because it's living and it's active. And our goal as believers is to get closer to Christ and then show others that they too can abide in Jesus Christ. Amen? Here's an action verb. In Jewish culture, formal education began at six years of age in what they called the best sephir or the house of the book, in 6 to 10 tradition has it that on the first day of class the rabbi would stand before the class and he would say right you are going to love this word and all the kids are like eh. <laughs> no they're ready and what the what the rabbi would do is He would cover a slate. Imagine a slate on that table. He would cover it in honey and he would recite Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. It taught the students that nothing was sweeter than the word of God. When they had graduated from that, They had literally memorized the entire Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And those scriptures were engraved on their hearts. They were memorized. They were meditated. Then they came from 10 to 14 to the House of Learning or the Bet Talmud. And they had to memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. After they finished that school, they would go to the house of study, the Bet Midrash, and in that, only a few moved on there. Some didn't make the cut, and in the Jewish tradition, a lot of those that didn't make the cut at that point were put into the family businesses. If you were lucky enough to stay, they would ask the rabbi if they could become the Talmudin, or disciples of the rabbi, and the rabbi chose them they would get an invitation called lech achareah, meaning come and follow me. Inherent in the invitation was the understanding that it meant total surrender and complete devotion to that rabbi and that teaching. It meant taking the rabbi's yoke on yourself, the yoke that represented the rabbi's yoke on yourself, And it represented the sum total of the rabbi's philosophy and his practices. It meant spending every waking moment with him. It meant going wherever he went, doing whatever he did, listening to everything he said. To complete devotion of discipleship is sometimes described as being covered in the dust of your rabbi. Everywhere rabbi went, student would go as a follower. Let's have the worship team up. At this minute, as we close, it was an allusion to the fact that the disciples followed the rabbi so closely that the dust that the rabbi kicked up with his heels would literally cover the disciples who followed him. Let's look at the application here of what we're talking about. You okay? Sure. He is beckoning, God is beckoning, if you want to come be in my presence, if you want to come be in my presence, listen up, this is important, this is the application stage of what we're talking about today. If we want to produce the fruit in the life of ourselves, the surest way is to get into the word of God. The surest way is to understand what this book means and what it's about and to become a true follower of our ultimate rabbi who's not a Jewish rabbi, but he is. We have to get into this word right here. We have to carry it around with us. We have to abide there with him. And you know that's uncomfortable because when we start abiding in him, we're like those wells that Chloe was talking about. Nathan told me the today day while we we're speaking, Pastor Nathan told me, he's like, you know what? There's wells. It's interesting that there's wells because when you uncover the well, you can either find water in the well Or you can find that the well is dried up and it's gone. When he said that, it reminds me of the scripture, right? There's a point to where he can cut and throw the branch away as useless. But today I believe that he's uncovering our wells, our hearts. What's he gonna find there? For some of us, we're going to be standing naked. But you know what? We're not going to be naked and afraid. You know why? Because our rabbi is Jesus Christ. The son of God and the son of man. He is the I am who I am that I am. He said it in the Old Testament. He is the son of the living God, and he came as a man to this earth for you and I. It will radically change the way you think, the way you live, the way you love, the way you express yourselves. But it requires more than a casual reading. Number one, abiding means believing that he is the son of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15 And I won't expound upon these. These are supporting scriptures. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. Why don't we stand to our feet and respond today? Sorry. No worries. You want that one? Okay. There we go. Sorry I stole your... (laughs) Let's read that 1 John four fifteen together. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. Say, say it with me, all who declare that Jesus is the son of God, have God living in them and they live in God. Today, I've just given you a short snapshot of why this scripture, this, this book in front of me is in fact the true living word of God. It stood the test of time. In fact, there were fires that burned whole entire monasteries and churches. And the thing that remained is the scripture. In fact, I can point you to news articles in which this, a Bible just like this, was sat in a country musician's RV and it caught on fire. And one thing remained was the word of god it never burned up in that fire <laughs> and so if you're here today 1 john chapter 4 verse 15 pastor lem how do i abide how how is how is that a continuous action how is that a continuous action chris put that on the screen for me this is how it is it's not by not by your good works but it's by faith alone believing I can prove this thing to you all day long. You would have to do a lot of work to disprove this thing. Are we debating or are we believing by faith? I want to believe by faith. I want to have that true experience. And it says, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. That's the first step to abiding. Declare that Jesus is the Son of God in your life. Jesus, you are my cornerstone. You are my rabbi. I want to live in the dust that is dusted up from your feet. I want to know you and you alone. I want to abide. Number two, read this with me. Number two, what does it say? Receiving him as Savior and Lord, but to all who believe him, and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. We don't have to be self-righteous anymore. Self-righteousness is a trying to make us in right standing with God. Why is it we can stand here and worship Him? Because Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the one that stands in the gap for us. And because we believed in Him, He has accepted us. But we've got to believe by faith that He gave the right to become children of God, no longer do you have to sacrifice the lamb or the goat or have the rabbi in its place. You can go into the throne room of God because you are a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I can be naked before the Lord and He can strip the things away from me. He can strip those things away because there's nothing left. It's all laid bare before him. And today, bring bring yourself bare before the Lord. Don't be afraid to do that because fear is a liar. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Number three, read this one with me. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave us lives in us in us when when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior in our lives when we surrender ourselves to him he does that surgery on our heart and we know the evidence that we know that he lives in us is by his spirit that lives in us and if his spirit is living in us the fruit of the spirit start to display this spring I declare and I believe by faith That this spring, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I believe and I decree that this spring, as God has pruned the things off this winter, as God has pulled the things away that so uncomfortably entangled you, as you spring forth in the spring, God will produce his fruit in your life. He will produce the joy. He will produce the goodness. Hang in there, fella. Hang in there, Woman of God, for God has not given you fig leaves. He has given you his armor, according to Ephesians chapter 6. He has clothed you in righteousness and right standing for the God. And no longer do we have to work our way into the presence of God. For he has already called you a son in whom he was well pleased. A daughter in whom he is well pleased. You are his child. Number four. Come on, can we get through this, church? Let's get through this. So, you must remain faithful. Say faithful. Read it with me. You must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. Like that honey on the slate, you must remain faithful. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. 1 John Chapter 2, verse 24. From the beginning, they had to learn that that scripture was a revealed knowledge of God. It's remaining faithful at the beginning to what they're being taught. Number five. Is there a number five? Yes. Relating in love to the community of believers, Christ's body. Read this with me. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Don't you love someone today? If you've received the love of God, there is no other thing that you can do but to display that love and to show others Christ's love within you. This is what we're going to do. We're going to end on number five today. Abiding. How do we abide those five? Thank you for listening to this podcast presented by Compassion Church. For more information, please visit our website at compassionchurch.cc.